Church family, happy Easter. If you've missed last week or you're visiting with us today, we started a new series entitled The Gospel Shapes Life. The goal of this series is to see how the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms our lives and our church. Pastor Kurt briefly mentioned on Good Friday that the gospel message is like a multifaceted diamond. As you spin it around, each face of the diamond reflects lights in a unique way. And you're able to admire the beauty from every angle of that diamond. This is our goal with this series and with the gospel. To see different angles and directions of the gospel message. So that might lead us to admire the beauty of the king and his message of redemption. Last week we saw the necessity of the gospel and how the only way to enter the kingdom is to be born again. Today we're going to focus on the specific message of the gospel and how it affects our condition and position before God. In our passage today, we'll see that Paul teaches us that our justification by faith through the death and resurrection of Jesus affects our present, our past, and our future. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 5. And as I, as I begin, I want you to know that there is so much richness of truth in this passage. That there's so much richness of truth in this book. And I will not be able to cover it fully today. But I pray that as we just scratch the surface of this message, that your affections for the risen Christ are stirred today. I want you to look at verse 1 as we just begin with the first phrase. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. This is really the most important phrase of this section of Romans. Everything that follows hinges on this one phrase in some way or some form. And so we need to spend some time understanding all that this phrase communicates. When you read the scriptures and you see a therefore, you've got to revisit what the author has previously written. And before we move forward in our passage today, we need to see that we need to see the previous four chapters of Romans and how Paul predominantly writes about the gospel. If you're visiting us today and you don't know what the gospel is, it's the central message of the Christian faith. And I pray that you would listen closely, that you would draw in to hear its message for you today. In chapter 1, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And he makes it clear how important the message of the gospel is. It's important because it communicates to us why we need to be saved. 
It's important because it communicates to us how we can be saved. Paul unpacks this message in the first, first four chapters. And here's what we need to know very quickly. First, Paul makes it clear that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. We typically summarize these terms into the more common word, sin. But what does that word truly mean? Listen to the words of John Piper. Sin is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised. It's the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured. It's the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared. It's the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. This is sin. Many times we think of sin as acts that we make that dishonor God. And this is true. But we learned in Matthew that sin flows from the depths of our hearts. If you've ever diminished the grandeur, the value, the glory of God in any way in your heart, for but just a moment, you've sinned and you're guilty of it. And the Bible makes it clear in Romans because all sin, the wrath of God rests on every person. Third, secondly, Paul writes that everyone is without excuse and that God will render to each one according to his works. For our sin, the wages, Paul says, is the payment of our sin is death and destruction. The wages of our sin is death. Thirdly, Paul teaches God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or what color your skin is, what part of the world you're born in, or what gifts or talents you possess. It does not matter who your parents are. It does not matter if you grew up in church. It does not matter if this is your first time in church. God shows no partiality and there is no distinction in the eyes of God. Every single person finds themselves in this same predicament. This is the bad news. This is the news of our condition. This is the news of our great need. We have a need to be saved from sin and from the wrath of God. But thankfully, Paul writes to us about the good news of the gospel. He fourthly tells us that the righteousness of God has been manifested and is seen through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the, the perfect and sinless son of God, the anointed one, the Messiah, the long-awaited savior and redeemer. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for sinners to pay the debt that was owed. 
So that to all the works of sin one has committed could be forgiven. And he rose again on the third day to provide life to all who were perishing but now believe by faith. So that we might be justified. This is a theological term that Paul uses. That we might be justified. Listen to the full implications of this, a- of this action. Sinclair Ferguson writing about justification. It means that our sins are imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is wounded for our transgressions that are ours. The iniquities that are ours. The displease that is ours. The sickness that is ours. It becomes his. And he takes it all. The judgment of the Holy Father against the sin of his people. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are not just pronounced not guilty. No, no, no. By his righteous knowledge, he will account many to be righteous. By his righteousness and his perfect life of obedience. He continues, it's so important for us to understand that what Jesus is doing throughout the course of his life is perfectly obeying his father in our place. Not just that he may be qualified to be the perfect sacrifice who's able to bear the judgment of his father against our sin. But listen, listen. But in order that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, not only do we understand that our sins are imputed to him, but we understand that his perfect righteousness becomes ours as we trust in him. This is what it means to be justified by faith. Our sins are imputed. They are placed on Jesus on the cross. And his righteousness is imputed on us. So that when God looks to render us according to our works, he does, not, he does so seeing the work of Christ. He sees his perfection. He sees his goodness. He sees his righteousness, church. And when we believe by faith in the message of the gospel, we are justified. Paul then begins to teach us how in the present our justification brings us peace, brings us grace, and brings us hope. Look at your Bibles with me. Beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, therefore understanding all that we just said, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In the present, because of our justification, Paul says, firstly, we have peace with God. What does it mean that we have peace with God? Well, let me cover what type of peace this is not talking about. This is not just a peace that 
that causes a positive state of mind. This is not just a peace that affects our physical well-being or even brings a sense of positive feelings to our lives. This is not a subjective peace that ebbs and flows. We know this because Paul will, will talk about the suffering of a believer in just a few verses. No, 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 no. This is an objective peace. This is a relational peace, meaning because of our justification, this peace enters and it changes our relationship with God. Scripture makes it clear that before peace enters the pictures, we're enemies of God. It talks about how, the, how there's animosity between the sinner and with God. How there's hostility between the sinner and God. This is what Paul says just down in verse 10. He says, we were enemies before Christ. We weren't just neutral. We weren't just keeping to ourselves. No, 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 no. The Bible makes it clear. We were hostile towards God. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalms chapter 5. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Do you see? In our natural condition, in our natural state, there is no way that we're able to dwell with God. There's no way that we're able to come before his presence. But now notice, because we have been justified by faith, the relationship, the disposition with God has completely changed. There is no more fighting between God and us. We are no longer his enemies. There is no longer judgment or spiritual death to expect. Peace has been accomplished. And regardless of what happens, regardless of what we do, how our circumstances change, regardless of how the culture shifts, our peace with God remains. Paul makes it clear in Philippians 4 that while the cares and the anxieties of this world grow, we can actually experience, we actually have and possess a peace that surpasses all understanding. How? How is this possible? He says, because the hand of the Lord is near. It's because our relationship with God has changed. We've brought in and been made friends with God. It's through Christ and his redemptive work. It's through the work that we're brought near to God in peace. But secondly, Paul says that our justification brings us grace. Look at what he says in verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, look at what Jesus does for us. Our faith in him grants us access. 
Not only do we have peace with God, we are given access to him and the grace that he gives. And we have this blessing in the present, in the today. We stand in the grace of God. Church, I, I hope that you hear the beauty of this truth. We do not gather to pray and sing based on the works of our previous week. We do not come and gather and pray and sing based on how well we read God's word. Or how well we perfectly attempted to live. No, 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 no. We are coming, standing on the righteousness of Christ that we receive by his grace. That's not our own. That's why the Hebrew writer says we are able with confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We are able to approach in confidence because our God has justified us by our faith. But what if I sin? You might be thinking. Later in this chapter, Paul says, where sin is increased, grace abounds. But what if I, what if I grow tired and weary? Paul says in, in chapter 14, God is able to make us stand. Christ is our rock. He's our refuge. He's the chief cornerstone of our faith. And as believers of Jesus Christ, we live and stand in the realm of unmerited forgiveness, of unmerited mercy, and of grace. Thirdly, in the present, we experience the blessing of God's peace, of his grace. And look what he says. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. The work of Christ is so trustworthy, it's so sure that we can have hope. Not only hope for the future, but actually in this present day. We can have hope, church. Our hope in God allows us to rejoice today. It's the surety of the future that allows us to rest today. Paul says because of this hope, we can actually rejoice in our present sufferings and tribulations. How can this be? How can it be that we would be able to rejoice in our sufferings, in the pain, in the tribulation? This isn't because as Christians we just really enjoy suffering. No, 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 no. It's because Paul says that our suffering produces and grows hope in our hearts. How does suffering produce hope? Look at what, it's, look at what it says. We, we suffer. We persevere. This perseverance produces character. It produces proven, tested, and godly character. And that character leads us to hope. I'm sure many of you have witnessed this in your own life. We experience a trial or a season of suffering. We have no idea what to do but to trust in God. 
And so we do. We persevere. And we rest in God. And whether God delivers us or not, that season molds us and it shapes us more into his image as we trust him. And this growth in our character and in this trust of our God leads, leaves us ready for the next season of suffering that's to come our way. Knowing that God is able to continue to carry us through until the end. This is why I'm so grateful for our church and for the, for the generations present in this congregation. Because of the long-standing testimony of God's faithfulness that it represents. There are times I remember talking to youth or college students. And they're sharing their concerns and their cares. And I'm just thinking and remembering, you know, I remember when I shared those same concerns I remember when those were my cares and I'm able to respond, I remember that feeling. I remember that concern. But you can, you can trust in the Lord. He is faithful. He has you. I'm so ready to bring my own cares and concerns to, you, to those who have gone before me. So that you can confidently remind me because of our God, we remember Trust the Lord. How else does our suffering produce hope? Our suffering should grow in us a discontentment of this present world. It should lead our hearts to say, come Lord Jesus, come. Our suffering should cause us to remember that the, about the work of Christ and what he promises. That, that he's bringing about a new heaven and a new earth. And our hearts, as they're set on the surety of Christ's redemptive work, in moments of suffering should lead us to hope in Christ all the more. Many times we see suffering as an inconvenience, as a displeasure. We don't see it as God's instrument in our lives to shape and build our character. To produce hope in our lives. To produce a longing for Jesus to come. Look at Paul doubles, doubles down. He doubles down in verse 5. Look at it. He says, and hope, this, this hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church family, our hope will not put us to shame. We sang it in Psalms 34 that all who find their safety in the Lord will not be ashamed. It will not deceive us. It will not disappoint us. How can we trust the surety of this hope? Because our hope is based on the unchanging character of God and his promises. It's based on his love. Paul says that God, through the Holy Spirit, is pouring continuously from now and forevermore his love into our hearts. This is not, a just, this is not just a one-time deposit. It's continuous. Every moment of every day, the Spirit of God is pouring the Father's love into our hearts. 
It's in the present because of our justification. We can rest in the peace of God. We can rest in the grace of God. And we can rest in the hope of God. I wonder, church family, are you living today in the truth of the blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus? Maybe you feel like God is disappointed with you or that he's angry with you. That's not what the word communicates. Because if you find yourself in Christ, there is peace. Maybe you feel ashamed this morning because of your sin. And you think, why would God love me? Why would he continue to love me? There's grace because of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in the midst of suffering and you think, does God hear me? Has he forsaken me? There's hope in Jesus Christ. And the spirit within you acts as a guarantee of our faith. And he is continually, continuously pouring his love into your hearts. Now Paul is going to move us back into the past. Paul wants to show us what type of love is being poured into our hearts. And he's going to show us how God accomplished this justification in the past through the death of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 6 with me. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the basis of our justification? Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see how immeasurable the love of God is? Paul states our condition in two ways. He says we were weak and ungodly. Weak meaning we were helpless. We were powerless. We were, we were impotent to save ourselves from the power of sin. But we were also ungodly. Look at how Paul describes this in chapter 1. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Before Christ, before our justification, church family, this, this is who we were. Paul wants to show, he wants to show us how immeasurable the love of God is. He provides a quick argument to demonstrate this. He says, it's, you know, it, it's, it's not impossible for someone to give their life up for a good person. It's not impossible for someone to exchange their life for someone who's good. But what about for a weak, ungodly person? Look at verse 8. It says, God shows his love for us in this 
that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love. There's, there's an emphasis in the Greek on that personal pronoun to, to make sure that we don't miss whose love it is. God demonstrates his love by dying for us. Remember when I mentioned the hostility that there was? We were enemies of God. Even while we were his enemies, church family, he died for us. This is the basis of our justification. This is how we're brought near to God. This is how we are reconciled to God. Christ had to die in our place. He bore our sins and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and remember, it's this love, this, this type of love that we're talking about that's being poured into our hearts that allows us to rest in the hope that will not bring us shame. If you're visiting today, this is what you need to hear. This is the message of the gospel. That God would send Jesus to die and stand in the place of sinners. Bearing their sins on the cross, rising on the third day so that all who believe and place their faith in him might be saved. Where do you find yourself this morning? Are you an enemy of God? Or have you been reconciled with him? But Paul's line of thought continues. Because if, if God loved us enough to save us when we were ungodly and wicked sinners, he will love us enough to bring us to glory with him as his children. In the following verses, we see that the, in the future, our justification by faith provides the promise of our future salvation. Look at verse 9 with me. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Look, look at what he says. Because we've been justified by the blood of Jesus, we don't have to fear his coming wrath. The way the Bible speaks of salvation occurs in every tense. It occurs in the past, it occurs in the present, it occurs in the future. We see that in our past we are saved from our sins and our trespasses. That's what we see in verse 9 when we are justified by his blood. But the Bible also speaks of how in the, how in the present we are being saved by the power of God. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 and 2 Corinthians 2.15. But the Bible also speaks about salvation in the future tense, which is what we're seeing here. The idea that we will be saved in the future, on that final day, we will experience the full outworking of our salvation before our God. And we will not experience his judgment nor his wrath, but we will be saved because of the work of Jesus Christ. Paul provides another argument in verse 10. He says that while we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the Son. 
He says, how much more now that we are his children? Will he not keep us saved through this life? The argument that he's saying is, now that we're children, will he not persevere and keep us till the end? Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can rest assured that he has saved us. That he is saving us and that he will save us. This is why we can confidently state that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul actually provides for us a response to this entire passage. Paul actually leads us in a response. He, he tells us exactly what we should do. Look at verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I wonder, church family, are you exalting God because of the reconciliation that you found in Christ Jesus? What brought you to church this morning? Was it the idea that you had been saved from your sins and that in the resurrection of Jesus you've been brought to new life? What will determine whether you come back next week, church family? Sometimes we are tempted to worship God in our daily lives or in Sunday mornings only when things are right. Only when things are going the way we desire. Or, or maybe even only when the pastor we like is preaching. But notice that our rejoicing is found in nothing else. Our worship is found in nothing else than the almighty God who has reconciled us to himself through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. How do we respond this morning, church family? How do we respond to the idea that we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ? First, if you're here today, if you've never believed the gospel, you've never been saved, today's the day. Your response today is to believe. Believe the message of Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And your sins can be forgiven today. You have the opportunity today to go from being God's enemy to being his friend. If you would only place your faith in him. We're going to sing in just a few moments. At that time, it's a good opportunity for you to get up and come and speak with me and say, I, I want to be God's friend. I, I want to have my sins forgiven. I would love to talk to you about the gospel. 
I would love to speak further about what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. But secondly, brother, sister, live in the truth, in the fullness of the truth of our justification that has been given to us in Christ. Live in peace today. Live in grace today. Live in hope today. Church family, he has risen and he is coming back for us. Thirdly, worship the Lord in the fullness of his majesty because he has brought us near. He has saved us from our sin. He has saved us from death. All through the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. I wonder who this morning had to be reminded of that. To be reminded that you were justified by faith in Christ Jesus. Maybe as we sing, you need to come and live in that grace and ask for forgiveness because your life has not demonstrated that you've been justified by faith. This is a good opportunity to live and stand in that grace.